All right, so we are in the book of Daniel. And uh, one of the prominent figures in the book of Daniel, most of us would say, is Daniel, right? Because the book's named after him. But one of the prominent figures that we're going to look at, especially today, is King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was the Babylonian king that uh, in his time was ruler of most of the known world. He had, his army had, had gone and they had conquered the Egyptians, they conquered the Assyrians, they came down through, they conquered the Israelites, they carried some of them off, as we found in Daniel chapter 1. Nebuchadnezzar was a big deal. And God wanted to get a hold of Nebuchadnezzar's heart. And so God sent in the captives four young men. Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael. He sends four young men among the captives to be a witness to King Nebuchadnezzar of the God of the heavens. Yahweh, God Almighty. You see, Nebuchadnezzar worshipped all kinds of gods. They had seven major, major gods. Their chief god was named Bel, in which Daniel was named after. His, his Babylonian name was Belshazzar. And so he worshipped all kinds of gods. And archaeologists found over the names of over 3,000 gods that the Babylonians worshipped. Worshipped all kinds of gods. But he did not worship the God, the God Most High, who the Israelites called Yahweh. So God sent these young men to witness them. And in chapter 1, the witness that he gave through these four young men was that they refused to eat the king's meat. And to drink the king's wine because it had been offered to idols. And so they said, give us vegetables and water. And at the end of the three years that they were in training, they came before King Nebuchadnezzar to be evaluated, to be examined. And he, he would give an oral test to them. How, you ask them questions. And it says that they were ten times wiser and more intelligent than all the rest. Now, we're talking about people that came from every known country that they had defeated. The Egyptians, they came from the Assyrians, the Moabites, everybody that they had conquered. There were young people there that had been trained, but they were ten times wiser. And Nebuchadnezzar saw that. Now, my guess is that he had to ask the question, what's the difference? Why are these Four guys so much wiser. And of course, the chief of the eunuchs would have said, well, let me tell you the story behind these guys. They serve the God Yahweh of the Israelites, and uh, they wouldn't eat your food because it's offered to idols. And because of that, they've been eating water and vegetables all of these years, and God has blessed them. And oh, by the way, Daniel... Daniel knows how to interpret dreams. And Nebuchadnezzar took that information, but he did nothing with it. He, it doesn't say that he acknowledged that, just that 
He had to be aware of that. And then in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And in that dream that we looked at, it's a statue, head of gold, the, the chest and arms of silver, the torso of bronze, the legs of iron, and the feet of iron and clay. And Daniel comes, and he not only gives the king his dream, but he interprets it. And he, Daniel is very clear to say, it's not me who's doing this. It's the God Most High. It's Yahweh who is giving you the information that, I, that he gave to me. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 47, he says, The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. And Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges that Daniel's God is higher than anybody else's. But he doesn't eliminate all the gods that he's worshiping. He just says, your God's higher than everybody else's. He acknowledges that. And then in chapter 3, we went through, the remember, the fiery the fiery furnace. And most of us know the fiery furnace. We know the three Hebrew children, the three Hebrew boys, by their, their names that were given them in Babylonian. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? And they worshipped God Most High. And they knew that in the law of God, it says you will not worship or bow down to any idols. You won't make any idols. And so they refused to bow down. And so the king got all kinds of upset. It says his countenance changed. In other words, he got just raging mad. And he said, throw him into the fiery furnace, the big enough to walk around, and it's huge. And he said, stoke it as hot as you can get it. And then they took the three Hebrew children and they threw them in and then God showed up. And Jesus Christ was with the, uh, with the three Hebrew children dancing around inside the flames. I mean, I imagine they're doing some little Hava Nagila, Hava Nagila, right? In the middle of the fire, they're dancing and they're singing and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar literally sees Jesus Christ. And he looks in there and he says, I see a fourth man up and he's, they're walking around. And that one looks like the Son of God. He has an encounter with Jesus Christ. And when he gets done, this is what he says. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, blessed be the God most high. No. He says, blessed be the God of Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yield up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be reduced to a rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. 
Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges God as the God of his God? No. The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He, he acknowledges the miracle, but he doesn't say, I'm going to serve the God who showed up in the midst of the fiery furnace. You know, it's interesting. Your Sunday school teacher's God can't save you. Even your preacher's God can't save you. Shadrach and Meshach's God couldn't save Nebuchadnezzar. It has, he has to become what? He has to be your God. See, you have to acknowledge him personally. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't going to get to God through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was going to get to God by having a personal encounter. And through all three of these chapters, God is pursuing Nebuchadnezzar. God says, Nebuchadnezzar, if you will just turn your life over to me, I will do great things for you. But Nebuchadnezzar refuses, and so we come to chapter 4. Now, chapter 4 is one of the most interesting parts of the Bible in that it's a first-person story by somebody other than the writer. Daniel includes, this is either Nebuchadnezzar wrote him a letter Penciling this out, this will, be, this will actually be the last word we ever get. Chapter 4 is the last word you'll ever get from Nebuchadnezzar. And he either wrote it out and gave it to Daniel, and Daniel included it in his book, or he gave, gave it orally to Daniel, and Daniel wrote it out. He transcribed it, because it is in Nebuchadnezzar's own words. So let's look at Daniel chapter 4. And let's come to verses 1 through 3. Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. We're going to get this to change yet. Come on. There we go. Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of all the peoples, nations, men of every, every language that live on the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs. How mighty are His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar is writing a letter, and like any good politician, he starts with a, with a good or, you know, opening. Uh, peace be to everybody. Right? Everybody, I hope everybody's doing good. But then he gets in and he tells his personal story. There is power... In a personal testimony. We have, we have some folks in this church right now that are, that are working on their personal testimony. I mean, they get together, they've written it out, they, they're recording it uh, on video so they can go back and look at it and say, okay, how, how can I change this? How can I change it? Because to, to a, good, a good personal testimony 
you need to do it in about five to seven minutes. You got to keep people's attention. And you, you very seldom have much more than that. So, so they're learning their personal testimony to share. And, and anybody who's been in this church for very long has heard my personal testimony many times. Because there's power in sharing it. And I share it all the time when I sit down with people because I can tell people God loves the whole world. And they're going to go, Really? Doesn't look like it. Look what's happening in Israel. Look what's happening in Ukraine. Look what's happening in Haiti. Look what's happening around the world. God loves the whole world. Really. But if I tell them, will you listen to me for, for a few minutes as I, can I share you a life-changing experience that I've had? Because most people want to have a life-changing experience. I mean, they, they, they look at their lives and they go, you know, I, I, you know I'm, I'm sitting on this route race, I'm running the treadmill of life, and I'm not going anyplace, and I want something different. And the reality is, is he is the one that can offer that. And so as As Nebuchadnezzar looks here, I want you to notice he does a couple things. One, it's about, he says, the most, what the most high God did for me. He said, God showed up. God showed up in my life. Now we're going to see, next week we're going to see how rough it was. We'll get an introduction into it this week. But he said, it's it, the, most, the most high God changed me. And I need you to understand that. Because everybody knew who Nebuchadnezzar was. He was the king. Man, when he came through, you know, people bowed down. The, the chariots went before him. Everybody was like, whoa, this is, a, this is a big guy. But he said he changed me. And he was very clear about who he was talking about. The most high God. You see, like I said, the Babylonians had all kinds of gods. Over 3,000. He didn't want anybody to be confused. Their head god was Bel, that Belshazzar Daniel was named after. He wanted to make sure everybody knew who it was the most high God to Daniel, to the Israelites, he would, it would have been said, he is Yahweh, the God Almighty, the one and only true God. Yahweh, the most high God. And, and he says, how great are his signs. How mighty are his wonders and his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Now, Nebuchadnezzar knew full well that his kingdom was not everlasting. Because everlasting means what? Most of us think of everlasting being which way? The future. But everlasting means what? From the beginning to the end. Genesis says, in the beginning, God. And Revelation says, 
in the end, God, right? And an everlasting kingdom starts where? Before time began. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I'm the first and the last. You see, he was telling them, my kingdom started about 600 B.C., and my kingdom will end. Daniel's already told me that my kingdom will end. The Medes and the Persians, and we can set that date. Not too far in the future from this, when this happens, the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar will be gone. And he says, yet the most high, his kingdom is everlasting. Amen. He was clear about who his God was. Well, in the next few verses, verses 4 through 7, he takes this vision and he, he, he tells us about, uh, a little bit about it and what he's going to do with it. Verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, once again, first person, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream, and it made me fearful. And these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. And so I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. And then the magicians and the conjurers and the Chaldeans and the diviner, diviners came in, and I related the dream to them, but they could not make an interpretation known to me. He goes back to the very people that have never been able to help him. They're, they're his advisors, and we've looked at this in the past. All of these people were, were from the demon realm, they were conjurers. They were diviners. They were, they, were, they were the magicians. They were the astrologers. Well, the stars are in the third heaven. and uh, you know, they, they, were, they were demonically powered. And it says, what? That they could not make the interpretation known to me. Now, when we see this dream today... You're going to kind of say, seems pretty simple to me. Seems pretty straightforward. You see, it's not that they couldn't tell him the dream. It's that they wouldn't. Because the first half of the dream is pretty cool. Tells all about the greatness of, of Nebuchadnezzar. The last half of the dream is terrible. And it's personal. And it tells exactly what's going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar personally. And they did not want to tell him that news. Matter of fact, the devil... Oh, let me go back. Dreams. God uses dreams. But not every dream is a dream from God. Sometimes your dream is from the pepperoni pizza you ate at, at 10 o'clock. Okay, but God uses dreams, and, and especially in this day and age, 
One of, the, one of the amazing things that is happening around the world today, I talked to a, a gentleman uh, just a couple weeks ago that was sharing that he had a dream of Jesus that said, it's time. And, and he found somebody that knew Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they led him to Christ. He, but first he had the dream. When I was, last time I was in Africa, our driver was a Muslim. We were in, a, we were in uh, Uganda at the time. He was from Uganda, 80% Muslim. And he says, one of the things that is happening now all over Africa in the Muslim nations is people are praying for God to reveal in dreams. And, and he tells his story of how God came to him in a dream. And he says, you go to the next village and there will be a kwaja, a white man, that in your next village will tell you about Jesus. And, and, and Ojo got up, and he, his, his father was an imam, imam for, the, for his village, and he walks 20 miles to the next village. The first door he, he knocks on is a, is a white missionary, and he leads him to Christ. He said, if it hadn't been for the dream, I would have never gone. And that's happening all over in the Muslim nations. Joel 2, 28 says, And it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And it happened all the way back in Nebuchadnezzar's day. And the result of that was what? He was feared and he had alarm. Good place to start. Because Proverbs 1.7 tells us what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord. You see, we hear a lot about the love of God today. But we seldom hear about the justice and the righteousness of God, which is the other half. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31 tells us it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that's exactly what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. When he sees this dream, he realizes that there is a God in heaven that I have to answer to. He has blessed me beyond measure, but I never gave him the glory. Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s preached a message on this passage called Hands, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it said that when he preached it, you could feel hell so hot that you could feel the flames. And it became the start of the Great Awakening. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Exactly. To know God, you have to fear God. And that's not that we're, we're, we're quaking because he's angry at us. We just haven't realized what he wants to do in our lives. That fear is a reverence of what God wants to do. But these magicians and wise men and, and conjurers, they, they couldn't tell him, or better yet, they wouldn't tell him. Because I got news for you. The devil is not going to give you the bad news. Did you know that? The devil's not going to give you the bad news. 
You can walk in a bar today and you can sit down in front of the bar and the bartender is going to say, what do you want? And, and he'll put that in front of you. And I can pretty much guarantee you that the bartender is not going to tell you, well, you know, if you do this enough, you're going to become addicted. You're going to become an alcoholic. And if you drink enough, it's going to kill your, your liver. You'll get sclerosis of the liver or you'll get wet brain. He's not going to tell you all that. What's he going to tell you? You want another? It'll make you feel better. It'll make all your sorrows go away until the next morning when you wake up with a hangover. You know, the frat boys aren't going to tell you, hey, let's play beer pong and you might get alcohol poisoning, which might kill you. They're not going to tell you that because the devil doesn't give you the bad news. They just give you, oh, it's going to make you, the drug dealer isn't going to tell you, oh, yeah, here, take some of this methamphetamine. And oh, by the way, let me show you a picture of what you're going to look like in three months. If you ever, we used to have a thing, you know, pictures of meth that, that is amazing. You watch people as they degrade through... The drug dealer is not going to tell you that. You can, you can go you can go find a prostitute. She's not going to tell you or he's not going to tell you what STD you're going to get or what that probability is. You can, you can go down and, and, and your, your boyfriend that's, that's saying, oh, if you love me, you'll let me. He's not going to tell you that, oh, you have, what chance do you have of getting pregnant and then what, am I, what are you going to do? See, the devil doesn't tell you the bad news. The abortion provider is not going to tell you, yeah, if you get an abortion, you have a chance of, of never having children again. And you, you have a chance of having emotional trauma because of that. The gender counselor is not going to tell you that you have a 40% chance of completing suicide. They're not going to tell you that because the devil will not tell you the bad news. And these men who were all men that got their power from the, from the devil refused to tell Nebuchadnezzar the bad news. They wouldn't do it. So it's left to Daniel. So let's look at verses 8 through 18. But finally, Daniel, <laughs> I love this. It, this kind of reminds me of, uh, I know some of you are probably not old enough to remember this, but the Saturday morning cereals. Do you remember those, right? Per, what, what was her name? Per, Penelope Pureheart, right? Snidely Whipnash has kidnapped her and he's thrown her on the railroad tracks and he's tied her down and the train is coming. Woo-hoo! Right? And who shows up but Dudley Do-Ride of the Canadian Mounted Police. Right? That's what this is. Finally, Daniel. Finally, Daniel shows up. And came in before me, whose name is Belshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I relayed the dream to him, saying, O oh, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery baffles you, 
Tell me the visions of my dream which I have seen along with its interpretation. Now these were the visions in his mind. As I lay on my bed, I was looking. Behold, there was a great tree in the midst of the earth, and this height was great. And the tree grew large and became strong, and, and its height reached to the sky, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit was abundant, and it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the sky dwelt in the branches, and all living creatures fed themselves from it. Wow, that's the good part. That's the part you want to hear. Look at me. I'm Nebuchadnezzar. I can feed the whole world. I can take care of everybody. They all flock to me because I'm a great and mighty king. But then something happens. There's a shift. God sends a messenger direct from heaven. Verse 13, I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay in my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven, and he shouted out, and spoke as follows, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off the foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches and yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it. And in the new grass of the field, and then this is going to become very, very personal. In the new grass of the field, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him share with the beasts and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast's mind be given him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers. And the decision is a command of the holy ones. In order that the living may know that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind. And bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. Wow. What an amazing vision he has. And it becomes very personal to Nebuchadnezzar. And, you know, but I want you to understand, first of all, God doesn't want us to be our, it doesn't want him to be our last resort. Notice it says, finally Daniel came. When everything else didn't work, finally Daniel came. If I was Nebuchadnezzar and I knew all the dreams that Daniel was able to interpret through his life, I would have said, go get me Daniel. I want to hear him tell me the dream. He's done it in the past. He'll do it in the future. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't. It says that it starts out the chapter was with the fact that he was, he was living at ease in his house and flourishing in his palace. 
Life was good for Nebuchadnezzar. Going along, he had everything he wanted to eat. He had all the most beautiful women around him. He had, he had money. He had wealth. He had palaces. If he wanted to go someplace, he went it. If he, if, he, if he needed anything, all he had to do was speak. And all of that time, every time we see Nebuchadnezzar, the first people he calls on are the ones that are engaged in the demonic. Why? Because he's a, he's a polytheistic. He worships whoever he thinks can help him the best. That's why he has 3,000 gods that he worships. Well, let's see. I need, I need a god for, for this over here. So I'm going to pray to that god. I need, you, ever, you ever meet people like that? Their God happens to be whatever they need that particular day. And, and even though God had shown up through his life, even though he had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ at the fiery furnace, recognized that he was the Son of God, he wouldn't allow himself to seek God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you. He, it was the last resort. Finally, Daniel came. Thank God, Daniel, you're here. And, the, and as he shares this message with Daniel, you know, like I said, the first half is great. And then the watchers show up. And it says two things about the watchers. One, they're holy and they're from heaven. Now, I don't have time today to go into the whole, the whole theology of angels. But I want you to understand a couple things. Number one, every one of you has an angel that's looking over you. And, and you can, even if you don't yet know the Lord, God has an angel that's constantly interjecting into your life. You're like going, oh, really? Yeah. He, he's constantly doing these, these little nudges. And, and what's amazing is a lot of times we don't see it until we have 20-20 hindsight. And then we start saying, hey, I had an angel all the way back here that kept nudging me, kept pushing me, kept guiding me back to God. They're holy. They do God's bidding. We're going to see later in Daniel that, that there's a warfare going on in heaven over us. Now, why do I tell you this? Because right now, you brought all your angels with you to church this morning. Isn't that cool? See, the, see, Revelation tells us that every church has an angel over the church. So we have a big angel, right? He's a pretty buff dude. And, and, and he, he watches over our church. So he showed up automatically this morning. But then you brought all of your angels this morning with you. We got a little fortress here with an army of angels that is, that is right now is doing business. Because there's also an army of demons out there. And they want to distract you. They want to do everything to keep you from, from being like Christ. So they're, they're up there in heaven. They're saying, not, not today, not in my church. Not going to let you in. 
And these heavenly watchers come down. Notice they come down from heaven. They're doing God's business. And it says he shouts. Now, if you've ever been shouted at by an angel, I don't know I ever have been. I know there's been a few times when I've been, I've been having, a, having a dream, and God says, Ben, wake up. You need to pray. But I can't imagine what it would be like to have, a, have an angel come down that's going to tell you the bad news. And he shouts, chop down the tree. Daniel had already told him, hey, your kingdom is not going to last forever. You're the head of gold, but that head of gold is going to be chopped off. And the silver chest and arms, the Medes and the Persians are going to take this all away from you. Nebuchadnezzar is going to die before that ever happens, but he says, your kingdom is not going to last forever. It's going to get chopped down. And not only, he says, chop it down, strip the branches let, let everybody run away from it. There's nobody there to help him. And then it gets personal. And man, I can't imagine as he looks at this. Come on. There we go. The prophecy gets personal. There becomes no doubt who he's talking about. He's talking about Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, look, this is what's going to happen to you. He says, in the new grass of the field, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him share with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast's mind be given him and for seven periods of time, for seven years will come. And the sentence by, is by the decree of the angelic watchers and the decision is a command of the holy ones. It's personal. You see, God pursued Nebuchadnezzar. And he pursued him personally. He pursues each one of us personally. You can go back in your life and you know, I praise the Lord when we see little ones come to, come to Christ. I, our Awana's program is amazing and I watch these four, five, six years old. They come up and they, they know the gospel. And I'm really looking forward to the day that I get to baptize some of these young ones because they're going to come to Christ and they're not going to have to go through some of the heartache that many of us went through to get to Jesus. And that is so important. But, but when I talk with people that came to Christ uh, through whatever their journey was, and I get them to look back, and they say, you know what? 
God showed up. God was pursuing me way back here. Maybe it was grandma and grandpa that took you to church. Maybe it was somebody, a little old lady from down the street that, that said, can I pick you up and bring you to Sunday school? You know, or it's somebody else that came along and they said, somebody came along through my life and, and they wanted me to believe in Jesus, but I just couldn't do it. Or I was successful. I, I, I became a successful person and I didn't need Jesus until God did what? Took it all away. And then that's what's going to happen with Nebuchadnezzar. He was successful beyond anybody's dreams. And God says, okay, if you can't come to me through my blessings, you're going to come to me on your knees, on your, literally for him, on your face, in the, in the midst of the forest, with the mind of a beast. You see, God pursues us personally. And when he does, he, he doesn't let go. He says, I, I want you to love me. And I'm going to do everything in my power to make that happen. For, for Nebuchadnezzar, there was another prophet that wrote during the same time, Isaiah Isaiah is writing during the same period as Daniel is, and he writes, For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty, against everyone who is lifted up, that he may be abased. And that's exactly what this dream was that Daniel was, is going to interpret. You, you're great, and you're very proud of that. You, you are, everybody that sees you lifts you up, but God is not a respecter of persons. Remember, Daniel, the primary focus of Daniel is the sovereignty of God. He says, I, I put you into place, and I can take you down. And that's exactly what's going to happen, but you're going to have to wait until next week to see that happen. Well, you know, one of the most beautiful things when we see the pursuit of God in our lives is the example that God gave with communion. When Jesus gave the rite of communion, the Last Supper. He was telling those men, now, now he was close to these guys, right? Twelve of them that had followed him day and night for three years. And he said, I've been pursuing you. But not only have I been pursuing you, but the Father has been pursuing you. The Father has been pursuing you. The book of John, the last half is all written to these guys saying, the Father in me, you've seen the Father because you've seen me. You've seen the power of God in me. I am 
the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You see, God has been pursuing. And that's what Jesus said. I am, I am the answer to that pursuit. And God said, hey, I have pursued you so hard that I sent my son to the cross to bear your sin. And when Jesus was, was giving the Passover, he said, this is my body which is broken for who? For you and me. Take and eat. So that's my pursuit is, is literally in the fact that I'm going to give my life for you bodily, physically, as a human, and also as the son of God who was sinless. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that to you. I'm going to bear the stripes on my back. I'm gonna, they're going to scourge me by my stripes. You will be healed. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the New Testament, the new covenant for the forgiveness of sin. Take and drink all of it. I will shed every last drop of blood for you. That's how much God pursues us. We have communion in the middle, the back two corners, and the front two corners. The cups are stacked with the wafer at the bottom, the juice at the top. There's gluten-free options in the middle of each tray. As you take communion, if, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior already, I want you to just take a moment to reflect back. How many places in your life did God pursue you? Maybe you were one of the prodigals. Maybe you were one of those sheep that went astray and you got out on the side of a cliff somewhere and you couldn't save yourself and, the, and God came down as a good shepherd and plucked you up and put you back with the flock. Maybe, maybe you're going to look back and you're going to see where God intervened in your life over and over and over again. And if you have never come to a place in your life where you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's very simple. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess your mouth with Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right where you're sitting today. And if you do that, I would, I would suggest that you catch myself or one of the elders or Pastor Hunter and, and say, will you tell me more about this prayer that I just prayed? But you can do that right now, right where you're sitting. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you that this morning you pursued us with a love, a love that never stops. And it won't stop until the day we get to heaven and we will be one with you. And we thank you for that. Thank you that you pursued us by sending your son to die for us that we could have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.